Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Darren Kaster, sitting in studio as usual with Stefan Hostetter, and we're hoping at some point, uh, Kevin Farmer yes. as well. Thank you for uh, joining you me. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin is probably in transit this morning. This is our first episode going out after the election, and... Uh, Man, I feel like I'm hungover, and not because I've been drinking. Um, I'm a little bit politicked out, uh, and so Stefan has taken the reins. If you were listening last week, if you heard the show, you heard me uh, making a, a very heartfelt uh, appeal, uh, maybe being a little bit more fervent than I, w- than I normally am on the show. Uh, and so Stefan is, is going to take the torch today, and I'm going to do my best to keep my blood pressure down. Stefan is going to get your blood pressure up in mm. the second part of the program, however, with some post-election commentary and about how some of the things you may be reading about the election and more specifically the results uh maybe a bit of a myth and he's gonna he's gonna do some myth busting in the second half of the program in the end of the show as usual we've got some uh some usual news punditry um less try uh, less of a mix than normal a little bit fewer stories but that uh, but some very interesting ones so i'm looking forward to chatting about that as well uh but without further ado we also are joined uh with the unusual pleasure of actually getting our guest in studio as well which is always super fun uh leora eisen is here who is the director for it takes guts which is a new cbc television the nature of things documentary Uh, which is coming up, which is all about gut bacteria and the role it plays in our health and particularly our weight. Welcome to the program, Leora. Thanks for having me. So uh, the first thing I would like you to do is just talk to us a little bit here about the uh, just the general premise uh, of the film. The film is following the story of microbes. Can you take it from there? Yeah, I, like most people, knew nothing about microbes. uh, And uh, I was wondering why they have an impact on our health because a scientist uh, that I know fairly well, uh, a British geneticist named Tim Spector in London, told me he was writing a book called The Diet Myth uh, and it's all about the science behind the food we eat. And I said, well, what's that about? And he said, basically, the fact that uh, you're on a diet is meaningless. It's a myth that it's going to work. Okay, low fat is a myth. Okay. And on and on. And he started listing in his book myths about what makes us lose weight and what's a healthy diet. And the secret hidden thing I found out is the bacteria that reside in our guts. And I had always thought of, like most people, bacteria as enemies, as bad things that we need to get rid of. And in fact, the vast majority of them, and there are trillions, hundreds of trillions of them, uh, living inside us, most of them are our friends. And they control our health more than than we thought. So one of the, the so I, I, as is my fashion, I, I'm a crammer. So I always do things last minute. I, it helps keep me fresh. So I, I literally, less than an hour before the show started to, uh, started, to, uh, did I watch the documentary? So I've, I've freshly watched it. And there were so many, so many little things that, that really stuck out for me. I want to ask you about, but the first one, based on what you just mentioned there, as far as like, I really like, oh, that's, that's interesting. And that's weird. And that it's like science weird, like cool weird, um, was the idea that there was a, there was a, a nerve that goes directly from your gut directly to your brain and that these, uh, microbes, uh, emit, uh, I wanted to say neurotoxins. That sounds that's wrong. Neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters. Yes, that's both wrong and sounds bad. Neurotransmitters. So essentially, these microscopic flora in your stomach uh, can communicate directly to your brain through this dedicated uh, telephone, basically uh, that runs. And it, it's it's so much more complex uh, than we know. And this is really new information. Like this is last ten years. We're just starting to find this stuff out. 
it's really new because used to just look at bacteria under the microscope. And now with all this fancy uh, computer sequencing where they can look at the DNA and your microbes have DNA of their own. They're these living things. It's a little creepy that have their own cells. Um, now that they can sequence them, they understand them a lot more. So that's why you may not have heard of this before. And to me, the, the big takeaway in terms of obesity was that uh, eat less, move more, which is kind of what your doctor tells you if you're struggling with your weight, uh, doesn't always work. And this is the reason. And that's because each of us has different microbes. It's like a, it's like a fingerprint, even identical twins have different gut microbes, um, and they need to interact with each other. You need a whole ecosystem inside your gut. It's like a rainforest. You know, if you lose one species, it has a domino effect on all the other species. If you lose a bird, then you're going to lose a certain insect. It's going to affect the plants. It's the same with bacteria. So even though there are good guy and bad guy bacteria, it's not as simple as, oh, well, maybe they can develop a pill to get me more good guys and I can swallow it and suddenly I'll have this flourishing rainforest in my body. I, th I think that, yeah, that, that idea of the, the good guys and the bad guys, too, I think one of the best sort of metaphors in there was one of the, uh, one of the um, scientists uh, t talking to them about uh, the microbes as teenagers. And it being, it's not that they're good and bad. It's kind of just matters what environment you put them in and how they're feeling. And, you know, it's, the, it's more that they're moody than that they're quote unquote good and bad. Exactly. That was. Uh, Emma Allen Verko, who's a microbiologist uh, at the University of Guelph. Uh, she's fascinating because she runs something called the RoboGut Lab, where she essentially uh, studies what she calls poop. Uh, and these are human donor specimens. Sorry to go there in the morning. Um, but they analyze what bacteria uh, is in people's poop. And by studying that, uh, they can start to understand uh, how to make us healthier because bacteria don't just impact your weight. They impact your entire immune system, ranging from diabetes to allergies and even perhaps depression, autism. It's related to all kinds of diseases. It's so new uh, that many of the scientists are experimenting on themselves to try and find out more. Yeah, so that's uh, <laughs> that was certainly one of the more interesting uh, parts of it. Let's let's talk about uh, that uh, our friend that was uh, doing a transplant. And again, I <laughs> we don't need to get into a super ton of detail here, but effectively he was uh, studying a uh, a tribe that had uh, particularly rich. It was a, a still a remaining hunter gatherer tribe, and I, I apologize, I've forgotten the name off the top of my head. Um, it's the Hadza tribe Hadza in tribe. Tanzania, and they're. One of the few remaining tribes uh, in Africa that still live a lifestyle very similar to what they would have lived thousands of years ago. And as he said, you know, you'll see the odd guy wearing an L.A. Lakers T-shirt or whatever. I mean, obviously, some of them are, are quite westernized. Uh, but many of them uh, still gather berries, hunt zebra, climb trees, live in the dirt, all the things that they did thousands of years ago. And uh, he wanted to test this anthropologist named Jeff Leach, wanted to see uh, what would happen to his own gut if he went on a diet like theirs. So he did, even if there was, you know, baboon stuff in the water, whatever, didn't matter. He ate it, and he drank it. And then he went one step further, even though 
all of his colleagues told him not to. That was probably my favorite part was they, you know, he's like, well, you know, I asked a bunch of people and they told me no. And then you cut to shots of the other of other scientists being like, yeah, we told him no. (laughs) (laughs) And what he did is quite shocking and definitely not recommended. Do not try this at home because there are people who actually, uh, according to the credible sources on the Internet, Mm. um, are starting to experiment on themselves and nobody advises that. But what he did was find uh, a young tribesman in his 30s, get his own sample from this guy, test it to make sure he didn't have any communicable disease, and then uh, have other scientists bring him a giant turkey baster from Walmart um, and then stand on his head for a while. So uh, I guess you can get the picture. As he says, don't try this at home. Uh, that's a risky thing to do. People mm-hmm. don't know what's going to happen if you give yourself somebody else's gut bacteria. He hasn't published his results yet, um, but he says it's more than a stunt. You know, a lot of other scientists were critical. He said he's trying to understand um, how one might get that kind of diversity in your own rainforest, uh, like the Hadza have, because they have double the amount of species than the average Westerner. So I think this is a good place to come back to why that's super relevant. So right at the beginning, we were talking about, um, you know, there's a lot of misunderstandings about uh, and and with your background also as a journalist here, I think this is also relevant because science reporting is something that has gone off a cliff over the last as the, with the collapse of newspapers, because none of the people, well, virtually none of the people who are writing the articles actually have any background or any experience whatsoever in the areas that they're they're talking about. And what we and we've talked about this quite a bit on the show before, but what you get here is this this false sense of communication between sort of science and the public where scientists will publish a study that says, you know, in these conditions, under these things, with the, all else being being equal, blah, 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 and all these asterisks that everybody just kind of skims over, um, it, we found that, you know, this is that. And then people publish that as a headline and say, it's conclusive, science has shown. And then some, and they'll say, well, then another study will say something else. And it's 99% of the time, it's because the, the journalist or the person, or even the journalist did a good job, but the public isn't actually understanding the details here. And so the headline here is not, uh, go ahead and eat whatever junk food you want. The headline is, the story's more complicated than that. Oh, it's absolutely, first of all, junk food is a nightmare for your microbes, and we can get into that. But I'm just going to pick up on what you said about science journalism, because uh, this area of microbiology about gut bacteria is kind of the new black in science. It's, you know, there's new studies coming out every day. Uh, In fact, there's a scientist in California who gives out uh, awards for the biggest hyped stories and headlines, because it really runs the risk of exactly what you talked about, which is hype and no substance or just headlines and no context. Uh, One of the people I interview in the documentary is a guy named Ed Yong, uh, who's a science writer for The Atlantic, but he's written for The New York Times and for Scientific American and all kinds of publications. And he is extremely diligent and careful to point out that you have to take everything with a grain of salt here because we don't know what the ideal healthy microbiome, which is what they call the ecosystem your gut bacteria live in. We don't know what that is. We don't know what the best one is. They're just beginning to understand it. However, the research does show some pretty major uh, and some somewhat scary things. Uh, Although some of them are hopeful. So the scary part is 
one of the things that was surprising to me is what processed food and junk food does to your gut bacteria. And so basically, when you digest food, uh, if it's junk food or processed food, that's made up of a lot of ingredients that are easy to absorb for your upper intestine. It's a little bit of a science lesson here, but I'll try and make it simple. So, you know, the carbs and the sugars and the fats, and uh, they're basically just made up of a few ingredients with some additives and preservatives thrown in. And that goes to your upper intestine and goes straight into your bloodstream. Whereas all the beneficial bacteria live in your lower intestine, in the gut, and they're hungry and they need to be fed. But the only things that feed them are things that are good for them uh, called prebiotics, which are things like uh, mostly vegetables, some fruits, uh, extra virgin olive oil, has chemicals that help them. There's a whole list of things, but it's primarily veggies and fruits. So when your mom told you to eat your veggies, this is one of the reasons why. Um, junk food uh, is a main staple now in the North American and European diet for a lot of people. And uh, Tim Spector, the geneticist that I interviewed, says it was basically a bomb that went off when it was invented, and uh, we're still suffering the fallout. And it's one of the reasons you see obesity rates skyrocketing over the last few decades. Well, that, that was uh, that was the metaphor that, I, or the, the the comparison, the imagery that I really liked, um, and I sort of added my own just on the in the moment here. But the idea, so they were talking about the idea of the antibiotics being like carpet bombing, and so because the this biology in your stomach is so the. The idea, the sort of the image that I came up with there was that people, and I'm including myself here a lot of time, think of their stomach, I guess, in a, in, a, in the way of like a simple machine that's performing a very physical, simple physical task, something like a, a car crusher. Um, you can pour whatever hazardous chemicals in there. You might even put something that's not really supposed to be in there in there. Um, but largely, you're not going to be able to do too much to it. You might, you know, you might not get the output that you want, but the machine itself isn't going to is just it's not going to be harmed by throwing you know paint cans or something other than a car in there. Uh, but it's not. It's a lot more like a factory full of uh, villagers who are who are assembling you know, toys or whatever, <laughs> you know, like a factory full of workers. And then, you know, one bad thing goes in there, like a sickness, and you just like carpet bomb and just level the entire factory. Well, exactly. Because what happens, uh, I mean, antibiotics have saved millions of lives. Uh, and no one's disputing that. But we've become a little too reliant, you know, every time, you know, Johnny has an earache, mommy takes him to the pediatrici pediatrician, and they prescribe an antibiotic. Well, what they've discovered, because it is like a carpet bomb, as you said, uh, instead of just hitting the target, which is the bad bacteria that's making uh, Johnny feel sick, if he has a bacterial infection, it could be a virus, not even treated by antibiotics, it wipes out all kinds of bacteria. And these are the bacteria that produce your vitamins, help you harvest calories, and do all the things that make your digestive system work. So antibiotics are uh, a bit dangerous too, not just diet and what you eat. Mm. So the, uh, the documentary is coming out uh, in about a week? It's on Thursday the 29th at 8 p.m. on CBC. Okay. And so for our American audience, unfortunately, won't be able to watch it. Uh, that's, no, but there's but a lot they, of information on the website. They can go to the website, which is cbc.ca slash nature of things, and read all about it uh, and look for the links to all the scientists. Yeah. And I'm sorry if our American audience takes this the wrong way, but we're really used to getting videos not work because it says, sorry, you're not in the U.S. So you guys can take this the first time. There you go. <laughs> it's our one thing. 
thing. Let us have it. Uh, it's a it's a great thing. I've watched it in its entirety, and I think you'll learn a lot. And it, it really it not will not only will you learn a lot, I think it will do something else that I love when I find out about science, which it really helps to emphasize how little we know. Uh, and I think that I think that's a good thing. I think a little bit of uh, humility is uh, is a good thing. So, uh, Leora, you're going to stick around for the, the program for now. We've got some news coming up a little bit later, so uh, you're going to uh, possibly join us in some commentary sure. for that. But for now, thank you very much. And do you want to just do one final shout-out? Uh, when's it playing? Where's the website? Where can people learn everything they need to know? Playing across Canada on CBC, Thursday, October 29th at 8 p.m., and the website cbc.ca slash natureofthings. Awesome. So we're going to go to our first music break. We'll be back with Stefan, who's uh, 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 told me he's going to rile uh, some of our audience up possibly here. We'll see what happens. We'll find out. Uh, right after the music break. But uh, Edward, are you going to you're going to tell us what we're going to listen to, right? Hey, yeah. Um, it's been a while. I haven't been around. Welcome back, Edward. I assume you got a bunch of angry emails like, where is that guy <laughs> with a silky smooth voice and classic rock? We miss him. <laughs> um, we did. We did. Yes. Edward. Yes. All right. I'm sorry about that. Um, can, you, can you play us something from way back? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, this this one's this one's kind of way back. All right. No, not really. Um, this one's uh, Bob Cajun by the Tragically Hip, one of my favorites. All
That you're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. And might I add, because I didn't the first time, all of our wonderful and very appreciated community partners, uh, other stations, podcast listeners, uh, people who click on our website. Uh, speaking of the website, before I throw to Stefan, uh, we've been uh, we've been adding a whole bunch of new stuff. There is a renewed About Us page, a whole bunch of other cool stuff. Vote for the News is still there as well. So uh, in the final section, we'll talk about some news items. You'll be able to go and tell us which ones you want uh you want us to cover more. And you may have noticed, uh, as I said, a couple of the interviews that we've been doing um, have been from that as well. So it uh, it does actually translate. It's, it is not a meaningless attempt to get to our website. You can actually help us direct the content. Uh, and the other reason I was going to point that out as well was that it's going to be even more the case that we will be uh, taking direct uh, uh, input from the Vote for the News page on our website as well, because uh, that was also getting crowded out a little bit by our uh, requirement of having to deal with election stuff. So now that we do not have a somewhat of a responsibility to dedicate at least part of the show to the election, uh, mm. that will be even more influential in our coverage. So uh, there you go. Climate cartoons and now vote for the news. Two really good reasons to go to greenmajority.ca. With that, I will go to Stefan, who is now going to lead us in song or no, something. No, and also Kevin be, Farmer snuck in the studio. Welcome, yeah. Kevin. Leading people in song would be cruel, I think. <laughs> At least if I did. Other people could do it. Uh, <laughs> but if I did it, it'd be just mean to all our listeners. And I'm, if I'm going to anger our listeners in one way today, I can't also then make them suffer my voice. Right, okay. So maybe next week, Stefan will lead us in song. <laughs> if I don't anger enough people this time, I'll switch and I'll start singing <laughs> next time. That will really get everyone on. Um, yeah, so I sort of have, a, have, a, have, I have, I have three thoughts on the election. Uh, one leads into the other, and the third is just a random side thought. Um, so the first one is, uh, I, I looked at a lot of number. One of the big responses coming out of the election is that this was strategic voting to this. Uh, I know at least a lot of uh, a lot of people who sort of were really hoping the NDP would do well uh, really think strategic voting did this. Uh, and I was really interested in that thing, in that question. Uh, and so I, I decided to look. Uh, I would decide to look at numbers. And, and I learned a ton of interesting things about this election. Uh, the first is if you lived in Toronto Danforth, Parkdale High Park, or Davenport locations, strategic voting did not do this. 
you got almost the exact – your NDP candidate got almost the exact same number of votes as last time. Uh, no one left the NDP because they were scared off. Uh, almost you, – you, you, you lost a couple hundred votes, but in, when it comes to 22,000, 22, you can't say that's, that's the reason. Um, what was interesting is uh, then you go to other places um, and almost across the board – uh, for, I, ch- uh, I checked the locations that you know, liberals had any hope in any hope in hell. Um, was that you had about ten thousand? Being a liberal in this election was worth about ten thousand votes more than last time. Hmm. Uh, even in elections, they lost, so interestingly in Vancouver East, the liberals still lost and the NDP gained by about two thousand votes. Uh, but the liberals still gained twelve thousand votes. 12,000 new people showed up to vote liberal, even in, in, a, in a campaign that still ended up going NDP pretty strongly, um, and, and where the NDP gained votes. Um, uh, another one in, in Berthier, uh, Maskinonge, definitely said that wrong. Um, they, liberals gained 6,000 votes and still lost. Uh, so there's, you, you, I think that the question you have to come, here, you have to, come to here um, is that maybe this is just who we are. I think, like to some extent, like I don't know if you can. When you look at some of the numbers, and you, like the the biggest change where you actually see where you see NDP really losing votes uh, is a out east they lost about four thousand votes in a couple uh, key ridings, uh, but so did the conservatives. So mm-hmm. in those ridings, about eight thousand people left uh, left the uh, left the other two parties went liberal, and then another ten thousand people also came on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the numbers are astounding in some of these spaces. I was saying there's one in one in Quebec where a liberal candidate gained almost thirty thousand votes. That's incredible. <laughs> Like I think they had like I think it was something like four to thirty two thousand. It was just a massive, massive uptick. And you, you can't also like I think there's a combination of things. One, uh, everyone was so mad that the liberals last time uh, that like there was going to be some pro- regression to the mean happening. The sympathy vote, maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, but like you don't gain thirty thousand votes in in one seat uh, and, and one, in one in one uh, riding uh, due to due to strategic voting. I, I came up. With, I just. I just now came up with a, a theory. I believe it. Or not, it's going to sound surprising that I just thought of this now, but I just thought of it now. But would you like me to wait until you've you've got no? It okay. I'm. I. It just. You know, because for us here, we're so. Um, we're so focused on the in, on the environment angle and and the obvious environment to economic angle. Um, it just now occurred to me, and I think a lot of people are going to be not believe me that I just thought of this now, but I, mm-hmm. it actually just occurred to me. Perhaps the pro marijuana vote is actually that strong. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know because uh, these are all new voters. Uh, the hugest component of people who don't vote is the younger people. So if you ha- get a huge influx of new voters, it's. I think it's fair to say that there's a good chance that a high proportion of them are younger people, just based on just general gleaning of, of mm-hmm. assessment of information. Uh, perhaps I'm not saying that's the entire factor, but. Maybe we will find out later that this was actually a up the middle. Nobody right. expected it. Gigantic pro pot vote. I don't know. Well, you know, you, you increase the vote by about seven percent. So it's almost a little, or seven percent more people came out. And, and I believe. And before, and it, it's Stefan's ter- turn to upset yeah. people. I, I'm not supposed to be upsetting right. people. So I just want to clarify. I'm, I don't mean that as a slight. Like right. that. I don't mean. I, I don't mean that as a bad thing. And also, B, I'm not saying. Oh, that's a bunch of people who don't know anything about politics and they only voted for pot. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe pot was the thing that motivated them to get to the polling boat station, and that's okay. I don't right. mean that is a slight against those voters or against the liberals yeah we can't we can't insult our theoretical pot smoking f- fan base or i don't know if anyone else listening to us um we may lose all our listeners <laughs> um, 
and and that statement will lose the ones we didn't just lose. So there we go. Um, but so like what I want to get to really is that like you, you, when you look at the across the board, I think the question. Uh, the, the the immediate reaction from the from the left uh, seems to be like, uh, how did the NTP fail? Mm. Uh, what did the left do wrong? You know, they say they say they went too much in the center, all these sort of things. But I think the better question, or the, the question that really has to be asked, is maybe Canada is what we thought it was. You know, maybe Canada is what we thought it was, and and this and there was a blip la- with Jack when you have Jack Layton as an incredibly charismatic leader, uh, and and in reality we're a liberal nation, <laughs> um, and and there's nothing, and so so and the, that's a, like I think that conversation isn't necessarily being had right now. We're talking about all these other ways that the left failed, but like Mulcair really did as well as any other leader ever has, except for the most charismatic leader the NDBs ever had. Mm. Like that's like like. Like, it's hard to blame someone for he did as if he did this in 2000 or before it'd be like yeah that's exactly what we anticipated you to do uh, and yet we're sort of the, there's a lot of the sort of the sort of infighting on the left being like how could the left how could the left not do this um, Kevin uh, Kevin is getting geared up I think <laughs> no, I think he's just hanging out he's just he's being lulled by my, by my, by my, my, my sultry voice oh no because I wanted Am I accidentally showing any signs of life <laughs> <laughs> no no I'm, I'm I, we haven't um, the uh, like uh, there's just oh sorry you have a little mic confusion here yeah okay. exactly um, um, no I'm I, just am, re- I, am I now on now you're on okay. there you are okay this is also not to be mistaken for a sign of life <laughs> <laughs> um, the but yeah so like the like I think there's that that that, that conversation has to has to be had mm. um, and then I think I think I think the second. Um, I think the second point was, 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 was jumping off of that mm. uh, very handily leads me to the second thought I have, uh, which is so we have a liberal majority now what? Um, uh, which which is I think and you've already seen that a bunch of places and I think I think to some extent we get lefties get really overexcited to think that may, yes this is the next like we are finally taken over we are now going to change everything um, and then and then it doesn't happen and we get really disappointed mm. um, when it's the history has shown the left doesn't. The left is – it's very, very rare that the left leads from the position of power. Uh, the left leads from the people telling power what to do. Um, and that's how that's, – that's, that's how the, the, the most of the big things, the battles have been won. Uh, you, you know, there's the conversation right now about the United States that Hillary is currently running left of Obama uh, because of the Black Lives Matter movements and all these other movements that are pushing them that way. And Bernie Sanders, Sanders numbers scaring the – That's also probably part of it. out of her. <laughs> uh, but there's – yeah, for sure. But I was just going to say there are all kinds of international articles out there now saying, look at Canada. Is conservatism dying? Right. Is this going to happen everywhere? In Britain, you mentioned Hillary and so on. And uh, it's a really interesting question. And what I found most heartening, I guess, in a way, uh, regardless of who you voted for, was this idea that it wasn't all about taxes. Mm. You know, this idea that Canadians are just going to vote based on how much money they end up in their pocket. Because uh, the riding that I come from, Eglinton Lawrence, there's some fairly well-off Canadians who live there. And every a lot of people I knew were just saying, um, I couldn't decide between NDP or Liberal, but uh, I think I'm going to strategically vote and vote Liberal because I think they have a better chance of it uh, and I need to get 
the Tories out. And the Tory in our riding is the finance minister or the former finance minister, Joe Oliver. Former finance <laughs> minister. <laughs> Hi, Joe. This is one of those radical uh, extremists, those, those un-Canadian people you were insulting <laughs> from your bully pulpit not that long ago. So long. <laughs> Kevin's been waiting years to say that. Now, now, now I've got the mic. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually come from, I was the Green candidate in the riding just south of yours. and Recently rejoined member of the Green majority team here, former, former two-time uh, Green Party candidate. Oh yeah, hi everyone, I'm back. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't think, well first of all, Canada, congratulations <laughs> on dodging the worst possible outcome in this election. Mm. That was the least sarcastic congratulations Kevin has ever said. I'm warming yeah. up, I'm warming yeah. up. Because, because we, we got the second worst possible. Because we got the second worst possible <laughs> outcome in this election. And if conservatism is dead, it ain't dead enough. Um, because uh, in, in, on substantive issues like Bill C-51, the mm-hmm. TPP, uh, electoral reform, um, climate change, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau was making commitments in the way people make plans for ideas to have a place for to have somewhere to go to die. Um, and I just expect a lot of I mean, we, we've got vague commitments for consultations. Uh, we're flying all the premiers to COP21. <laughs> Wrap your head around that. This is proactive action on climate change. We're flying all of the premiers uh, in an act of solid in a, in, a, in a greenhouse gas spewing act of solidarity. We're flying all of the premiers uh, to go to an international conference on climate change. And then we have vague Justin Trudeau commitments to have, you know, meetings about what we're going to do about that after the fact. So, you know, on truly substantive issues, I don't see that we improved much. <laughs> I would say Canada won, environment zero, and actually the scale goes to 10. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm old enough and cranky enough, for those of you who've forgotten who I am, uh, not to be giving people the benefit of the debt on this stuff anymore. Um, the classic, I, I'm, again, old enough to, to agree with this narrative that they flash left and we're just waiting for them to govern on the right. So, mm-hmm. like, on truly substantive issues, uh, but I did. I really did, folks. I had I met people at the door. <laughs> I had conversations on the doorstep and without a doubt, uh, strategic voting played a large part in this, at least with people in my writing. And you can look at these things riding by riding, but then a lot of local perversity set in. And, and I don't mean perversity in an extreme way. I mean, like sort of local um, oddities in, in voter behavior, because it's just not always obvious who everyone's second choice is, mm. given, given who their first choice is. And there is a lot of regional disparity in this country, too, a lot of regional disparity. And you'll notice this quite soon. Uh, as Justin Trudeau tries to manage a caucus of 180 MPs from everywhere, <laughs> you know, this is rural, urban, east, uh, west, central, northern, southern, and this is this this. There, there, trust me, there's diverse there's diversity in what is now being sort of subsumed under this you know banner, this rubric of of liberalism. But I was just going to agree with you uh, about the strategic voting thing because one of my daughters voted green and then said afterwards, you know, I wanted to vote green because that's what I wanted to vote. But then, is my vote a wasted vote? Because should I be voting to make sure? If I don't want the Harper government in, that that's where my vote goes. You could you could easily, and I think this is the mistake that conservatives made. Really, was um, you could easily separate 
the the electorate in this election into two groups: people who are going to vote for Harper, apparently no matter what, unquestionably no matter what, yeah. <laughs> and and people who were, who were going to vote him out. End of story. And so they had two things they could have done: grow their base or grow their voter support, which they clearly did not try to do. Uh, I mean, they seem to be trying to alienate as many people as possible who were already outside of their existing base. Uh, and then the other thing was they had to keep the anti-Harper vote nicely split between the two major contenders, and and they did not. And then I, I think just sort of writ large, I mean, you can always get into this interesting game of sort of writing by writing microanalysis, but writ large, once the NDP were appeared to be significantly wounded, the anti-Harper vote just coalesced. And 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 having said that, though, I will, I will give a nod to um, the desire for true progressive change in this country. Because I think I think actually the steam was coming out of the the NDP campaign right from day one when it didn't appear progressive enough, mm. and uh, as soon as they announced that balanced budget, their poll numbers started to slide. They got a healthy shove from the Nikah business in Quebec, which I'm, I'm I can assure you is a lot more complicated than just you know which side of the Nikah <laughs> debate you were on. Um, but uh, but I think I think you know there were two things: the people who wanted to vote Harper out really were looking for change. And they bought into this myth that um, a ten billion, three ten billion dollar deficits somehow represented progressive change in this country, folks. If we were measuring the budget, that would be within the margin of error. <laughs> it's not, you know, those those budgets. I tried to tell people who were just obsessing about balanced budgets, like, look, you know, this his these liberal budgets, this deficit that they're talking about, it's it's too small to worry about. It's also too small to have its stated effect for, for, to actually stimulate the economy on infrastructure spending. Our actual infrastructure deficit in this country is in the hundreds of billions of dollars, about $300 billion. That's just to fix what's broken. Look at Montreal. They're about to divert billions of uh, liters of sewage into the St. Lawrence. You, know, you could throw a billion dollars at that you know, pretty much overnight. You could throw a billion dollars into the TTC and they just start running at full speed again. You know, <laughs> $10 billion for three years? Give me a break. I mean, that's something. But to say that this is some... You know, radical new vision, some commitment to to stimulating the economy. And folks, really, if the economy got any more stimulated, we'd be ha- this this discussion would be obscene. Um, <laughs> but it just you know, it just this thing. It was it was political. Th- it was nothing but political theater. It was they they adroitly seized on a narrative that separated them from the other parties. Oh, we're willing to run budget deficits. The conservatives wouldn't. The NDP couldn't. They just could not have. And out came, out came this piece of political theater that worked. And I think it worked because the people who were looking to, to vote Harper out by Stephen um, <laughs> were actually looking for progressive change. All right. So I think I'm going to we'll wrap up this section here. We'll, we'll chat a little bit more about this after the final break, as well as some other interesting news stories um, uh, as well. I think uh, my 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 only comment, I've been behaving myself and keeping largely quiet here today, largely, um, but <laughs> would just it would just be the, the, the idea. Yeah, is that in, in reality, the liberals are very much a centrist party. The conservatives are a at this point, a far right wing party. Who knows where the new leader, of the conservatives will take them. Uh, uh, and that we have sort of two shades of of, uh, of sort of quote unquote lefties, uh, but the idea of thinking of the liberals as a left wing party is thinking in binary in a in a system where we have four different parties, and I don't I don't I don't think it works to group 
three in one camp and, and one in the other. I think the, the liberals in the center, and my, my problem with this is that we keep going between, as, as Kevin, as you were tweeting, on a daily, perhaps hourly basis near the end of the election there, we keep oscillating back and forth between far right and kind of centery talks le- left, but actually slightly right. Well, Brent, and we've we, never we, actually tried a real left-wing party in this country. Well, we, 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 we keep picking the same two. We keep uh, flipping the same blue-red coin that we've been flipping since Confederation. You know, we keep throwing out the liberal bums to replace them with the conservative bums, then throwing the conservative bums to replace them with the liberal bums. It's like, do you notice a pattern, folks? Do you notice a pattern of abuse here? But one final thing is, before we get too giddy about these results, we're looking at almost the mirror image of what we had the last time, which is this crushing, ridiculous, misrepresentative uh, majority based on slightly less than 40% of the vote. All right, we'll have to leave it there. We'll listen to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. The other thing I just wanted to say was we missed you, Kevin. We'll be right back <laughs> after this music break. Hi, uh, we got another Canadian classic, uh, Mary Mac by Great Big C. And her name is Mary Mac and make no mistake, she's the girl I'm gonna track. Lots of other fellas try to get her on her back, but I'm thinking that'll have you get a birdie in. Mary Mac's mother's making Mary Mac marry me. My mother's making me marry Mary Mac. Well, I'm gonna marry Mary, for the Mary's taking care of me. Well, I'll be feeling Mary when I marry Mary Mac. How you, Lily, at little, at little dumb. Mary and her mother and an awful lot together In fact, hard to see the one without the other And people often wonder if it's Mary or her mother Or both of them together I'm courting Mary Mac's mother's making Mary Mac marry me My mother's making me Mary Mary Mac Well, I'm gonna marry Mary for the Mary's taking care of me Well, I'll be feeling Mary when I marry Mary Mac Hi, you little, I'm little, I'm little dumb Well, up among the heather in the hills of Benefi, well, I had a bunny last nominee. A bumblebee stung me right above me knee. Up among the heather in the hills of Benefi. Mary Mac's mother's making Mary Mac and Mary me. My mother's making me Mary Mary Mac. Well, I got a Mary Mary from the Mary's taking care of me. Well, I'll be feeling Mary when I marry Mary Mac. How you know me? I'm little, I'm little, I'm little. Where you gonna spend the day? She said, among the heather in the hills of Benefay Where all the boys and girls are making us for free Oh, in the heather in the hills of Benefay Mary Mac's mother's making Mary Mac marry me My mother's making me Mary Mary Mac Well, I'm gonna marry Mary for me Mary's taking care of me Well, I'll be feeling Mary when I marry Mary Mac Ah, you little, yeah, little, daddy, little, no Weddings on Wednesday, everything's arranged Soon you would take your mind unless your mind is changed You make and the arrangement, the feeling was arranged Marriage is an awful undertaking Mary Mac's mother's making Mary Mac marry me My mother's making me Mary Mary all right, that's it, I'm afraid. Just a short taste, a short taste of a music break here. In the final home stretch, uh, Stefan, you've got a little bit more for us, and I have uh, at least one news headline I, I feel like I need to mention, so let's go straight to you. All right, great. Uh, first and foremost, because, uh, because we don't actually disagree too much on this show, I want to say that I think that bringing the 12 premiers to the Copenhagen actually is valuable. Uh, I, and I think that there's a... Uh, I think that that the premiers are really in charge of most of the environmental policy, as you can get, uh, as you can see with uh, BC Action taking action, regardless of Harper's opinion. Um, and so I understand the irony of bringing you know a massive delegation, fly them all over there. But I think that there, who actually controls environmental policy is so much in control of the uh, in control of, uh, control in the province's hands that you have to give them. Some. I agree. There's a lot of room for discussion there. Yeah, I just don't know that it has to take place in Paris. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. <laughs> 
Um, I, so I, I'm actually going to side with Stefan on this one. I think symbolically it's worth those carbons, those <laughs> carbon it's, atoms. Yeah, it, it, symbolically it would be worth not spewing them too. And in <laughs> fact, with regards to the actual problem, which is absolute, the absolute inventory of emissions, it's still bad. <laughs> But I love this disagreement. I've had I've had eleven weeks of political arguments. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I so one going against that because we'll probably lose it if I don't. Um, I just want to thank Canada for really just showing just how really just being like showing what the corporate media uh, is controlled by, uh, given how far given how far off. Every single post-media-owned organization managed to be about where, where we were as a country and having them quite honestly support a party that was running a just awful campaign. Not awful as in like they were doing – their campaign itself was run poorly. I don't have no opinion on that really whatsoever. But the amount of dog whistle racism and just straight-up racism that existed in the conservative party platform. Oh, even uh, the dogs. <laughs> even, even the non-dogs could hear that. Yeah. Um, was unreasonable and, un- and, and, and really un – like unconscionable, I think is the word I want to go for. Uh, and the fact that you managed to have uh, so many people endorse, still endorse them after that, and then also the you know they also then let the conservative government p- buy like fifteen of the twenty five biggest newspapers as well as a hundred others all printed the same voting NDP or liberal will cost you and telling people to vote conservative on the front page of a newspaper. Yeah. Uh, so, so just thank you, Canada, for at the very least being like, hey, post-media, uh, we don't like you. Um, or at least we don't like th- who owns you. Because, again, then it, they wouldn't let Andrew Coyne even write his own article. Uh, so that's a long conversation that I'll leave for now. Uh, I want to get to the last point on the election that I have, uh, which is what does this mean? Uh, where does the left – and what, what I find so interesting about this is that the uh, – I sort of end up following what the activist left. So I watched the campaign in a really funny place. I watched the or watched the election uh, surrounded by a ton of uh, super socially minded environmentalists uh, or not environmentalists to some extent, but also just socially minded people. And almost to a T, it was a weird time watching people sort of be like, yay, Harper's out. But oh, no, what is happening? Oh, we really did not want a majority. I think Canada, most Canadian progressives did not want a majority, and that's what we ended up with. Um, and I, I like to sort of think Trudeau, in some extent, got the uh, got the got the same bump that we saw here with Tory, uh, which our mayor in Toronto is John Tory, and I think he managed to John Tory got to got the got the ridiculous ridiculous beauty of getting to run as a lefty only because he got to be compared to the Fords, and I think the Liberals, in some sense, benefited dramatically on how far right Harper was. I think uh, we need a referendum. On independence for Ford Nation. <laughs> <laughs> I'd support that. <laughs> um, I mean, if they want to secede, uh, yeah. I'll vote yes. <laughs> I'll move there, vote yes, and then move out. <laughs> um, unless, of course, that means that I lose my citizenship in Canada because of C24. Um, <laughs> uh, so what? So I want to get to the sort of what. Uh, presuming that we, let's accept that we are now in the world we are in, because uh, that's is you know, valuable. Um, which is that. So what do we do now? 
Uh, I think I, I think most people would agree with Kevin that for most progressives, uh, we got the second worst possible government. Um, arguably, a conservative government propped up by liberals was a theoretical possibility, if not an actual possibility. Uh, so maybe that would have been the actual second worst. But who knows? And the government, we probably most of us would, or the gov- the the composition of parliament that most of us would be far more comfortable would be the one that we'd have if we'd had proportional representation. Yeah, we voted for the parliament we want. Yeah, yeah. and that's even factoring in that so many of those results were were uh, delivered to us by strategic. Voting, yeah, like twenty. So yeah, thirty nine percent liberal, twenty percent NDP. So a liberal, a liberal NDP uh, backed government. Yeah, it's basically yeah, majorities what, are are just bad. Yeah. Um. So uh. So move. So but, but again, accepting that that's not the case currently. What can we do? Uh. And I think you then you look at to the what the activist community is saying, and it was interesting. They were planning for this. Uh. They were planning this a while for a while. Because uh, you know, as as Kevin so good, but uh, it can't be forgotten that Trudeau's campaign campaign co chair uh, was a contractor for Trans Canada, uh, or that uh, he when he had a statement when Keystone XL was rejected, saying if I was prime minister, I would have got this passed. Um, and his and, his uh, his chief of staff is a former lobbyist for Big Oil too. There you go. So, uh, I, 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 I'm not sure enough of the name to get it wrong on here. Yeah, but, but with politicians, but, that's kind of like saying that, well, something, something, well, he's Christian or something. Well, there's like an 80% chance that that's true. So Right, but that doesn't, that doesn't take away from the fact that it's a, a, a very problematic reality. And Absolutely. these are very powerful positions. Uh, um, one in the campaign, the co-chair was a powerful position, but chief of staff is an incredibly powerful mm. position. And that just means that everyone who, everyone who knows him has, has access to, mm. to, uh, uh, almost said Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> yes, I'm old. <laughs> all, all, all I was, all I was saying was that if you had a bunch of powerful polit- politically oriented, uh, or connected people in a room and you threw a dart, there's a 98% chance of hitting somebody with a con- direct connection to the oil industry. That's all I'm saying. And, and that's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, with that as the reality, uh, what do we Sorry, Stephen's really trying to get us. I back really to want to get to this one. Yeah, exactly. You have eight minutes to say a one-minute thought. Okay, Do your best. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'll get there. Are you guys always like this? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. You want to join us every week? You're welcome. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, the activist community uh, and sort of the environmentalists in general have already decided, uh, and had, had been planning for something like this before. Like the the fact that uh, so 350 Canada has something called the climate welcome. They've been planning for months, mm. uh, which was basically anyone who ended up in uh, who into the prime minister's uh, office 24 Sussex was going to be greeted uh, in, in early November by as many environmentalists as possible to be like, hey, we have a month to, uh, to, to Paris. Let's figure something out. Uh, and I think I think what we have to – if there's one positive you've got to come up with, one is that we're in a better – environmentalists are in a better place now than they were for the last 10 years. Um, and just like good environmentalists, we can't accept a win. Yes. <laughs> well, that would be cheating. Um, <laughs> but And so w- with that, what we need – what you need now, and I think as I said this earlier, I think – the left governs from the people and not from the top so often that we've done this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that we, like environmentalists got uh, Obama to reject Keystone XL. Uh, there's that was that was such a win that my I was in a class at sort of, I was in a class in environmental environmental studies here at U of T uh, when that was first going through about seven, eight years ago, and the professor asked the class if Obama would, would pass it, and everyone to a T said yes. Because uh, it was almost, it felt like a done deal, and the, and, and the fact that environmentalists rose up and actually stopped that. And you can't, I think that's one of the, one of the things you actually have to accept, that that's environmentalism working. Um, and actually changing the mind, or at least cha- or forcing the hand of a leader. 
Uh, and I think I think I think Evan's right. I think Canada, Canadian, and Canadian Canadians today do want a real change and are looking for a, a bigger change. And I think Trudeau has to see that, and we have to force him to see that. Well, okay, I'm going to pile on there because this this segue is just begging me. I mean, we, yeah, we want lots of change that isn't climate change, and uh, I can assure. You, I mean, we all know because we see this every time. Climate change just and environment, environmental sustainability just never seems to survive an election cycle as, mm. as, a, as, a, as a topic of concern for the electorate. And I can assure you, <laughs> as someone who really was knocking on doors, the, 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 this, was, this was the concern of – the people who were concerned about climate change were few and far between. And during this election cycle, though, we had pretty much an historic extreme weather event during every single week. Uh, at one point, we had 13,000 environment refugees in Western Canada alone due to an historic wildfire season. And still, we were droning on about the threat of ISIS. Mm-hmm. We, the heat waves in the Middle East this summer were more than halfway to the boiling point of water. South Carolina is underwater. Uh, California just, uh, just uh, ended, uh, really, uh, a, an historic five, once in 500 years drought uh, with a deluge where at one point they were getting 15 centimeters of rain an hour, right? Still, this does not come up even... Well, I was just going to say that the doors you were knocking on was a sort of uh, fairly wealthy riding Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and uh, probably not 20-year-olds coming (laughs) to the door that often, I would imagine. No, no. Uh, But I would say my daughters, who are 24 and 21, that is a big concern. Uh, And I come from a riding similar to yours. And, uh, uh, you know, it may not be the only concern, uh, but it definitely is something that helps them decide who to vote for. I, yeah, I just – I, still it was the concern of people, not, not many people. And when I look at how the media was constantly framing the, the, the election discussion, it was, like I said, during, even during an historic wildfire season with 13,000 people at, homeless in Western Canada – this was not, you know, we did not have, we, it suddenly, we were not rushing to grill all of the party leaders on their, their commitments to, to climate change, so, or climate change action. So, you know, we need to, we need to, we need to, uh, we need to, we need to, to pick up on what, uh, what Stefan was saying. Uh, Justin Trudeau needs to remember that he got a lot of anti-Harper vote here. This was not, this was not necessarily an endorsement of, of his platform. People were, 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 and I know them. Uh, we're plugging their noses on Bill C-51, on, on uh, the TPP, on, on his you know, waffly commitments about electoral reform and climate change and saying we just need to get Harper out of here. And it, it, you know, it, I've, got an, I've got a new slogan, uh, no, no complaining if you weren't campaigning. But, but, but I was campaigning, so I get to do a lot of complaining. <laughs> I'm, also, I'm also getting good at the rhyming couplets. But the good thing is, is that uh, the Paris meeting is, is relatively soon. Um, and naively, See, one I'm too hopes. Old for that. <laughs> well, I'm old too, so you can't. But naively, one hopes that in that world, he gets that he needs to make some kind of uh, signal to the international community. Yeah, but they're still talking uh, about. They're still talking about. Um, you know, part of the messaging on this, and who knows? Who knows which crowd you're trying to mollify with these kinds of statements? I don't know anymore, and I actually don't care anymore either. But when you're saying, look. We'll never get Keystone approved if we don't start taking action on climate change. <laughs> getting getting Keystone approved is is not that, taking action on climate change. That's taking well, it's taking the wrong kind of action on climate change. So you know, I you know, I you know, hope springs eternal. I guess, which is why I guess I'm hoping I'm dead soon. But uh, <laughs> there's just 
there's I can't keep giving people the benefit of the doubt. We're inching ever closer to the point of no return on climate change. Then we're going to give people the de- the point of the doubt until we're past it at, at the rate we're going. And uh, you know, d- just we need to as people as as people who uh, you know have access to mics. And as, as, you know, it just everyone out there listening, you know, it's not enough to just vote. Voting's good. It's better than, you know, what roughly, you know, 30 or 40 percent of us did in the election. But we have to do a lot more. And if you want action on climate change, that means that means keeping up the pressure for Justin Trudeau to deliver sufficient commitments to getting to zero carbon. Yeah, I was so I was going to double down on. I've sort of been taking. Uh, I've been I've been trying to get this point this entire time, which is basically uh, hey, check out through what three fifty is doing right now uh, with climate welcome. Uh, I don't say go do exactly what they're saying that what they're going to do because uh, that was is risking arrest, and I'm definitely not going to tell a bunch of people to go risk arrest. Uh, but uh, I think Ke- I think Evans Kevin is right in that we have to. Have, you've been all, you've been away for longer for your so name. Long. Your now name is Evan now. Uh, as Evans been saying, we have to actually uh, force Trudeau to pay attention. That's right. Okay, so unfortunately we are out of. T- time uh, for the show here. So I'm just going to do so really quick. So the, this week's vote for the news, I'm literally just going to skim through top headlines. Please do go and vote. Tell me and tell the team here which ones are most interesting to you. And we will be following up with this very acutely now. So here we go. My super fast read of some of the news top headlines. You can go vote and tell us which ones resonate the most with you. I'm going to start with the one that resonated the most with me, however, because it's my show. Bernie Sanders demands Department of Justice goes after Exxon for covering up climate change. So pursuing criminal charges against oil companies for lying to the public. Uh, Robin Hood in reverse. Hotter planet makes takes from the poor, gives to the rich. Uh, how... Um 2015 is yet again broken record sounding going to be potentially the hottest year on record again. And, and we are headed for an El Nino like no other. Uh, Oslo makes a move to ban cars and uh, Greenpeace and energy giant Encel, which is the largest uh, uh, utility in on Earth uh, by number of customers. Uh, is uh, agreed to go to uh, 2050 uh, completely carbon-free and is building no new coal plants. That and a bunch of other really interesting headlines at the website. That is all the time we have for. You're listening to The Green Majority. Have a good Green Week, folks, and we'll talk to you all real soon.